0: Is The Talking Dead a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show The Walking Dead? Hi, everybody. My name is Chris, and my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 465, recorded on Tuesday, November the 26th, 2019. Welcome to the show, everyone. It is good to be here. Welcome to the show, Jason. How are you doing?
1: Thank you. It is good to be here, Chris, as always. All righty. You're looking
0: fine. You're looking fine. Am I? Good. Thank you. I I cut my hair and shaved my beard.
1: Nice. I did neither of those things. I'm a scraggly mess.
0: Yeah, well, it was time. I'd been thinking for days that I really needed a haircut. So I finally sprung and did it. I feel so much better. It's like you're a whole new man when you cut your hair and shave your beard.
1: I don't get that feeling.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> no it i do good and everything but I, I just feel like a whole new man my hair just gets so like even if it's only a less than an inch long I, I hate it you know i it bugs me so i shave it right down oh that's your problem i don't i don't give a shit i don't care if it's long or short or whatever oh no mine bothers me anyways i feel like a whole new man so uh, that's awesome that's great yeah um We are here, of course, to talk about Season 10, Episode 8 of The Walking Dead. It is the mid-season finale, so that's it. We're done the half-season already, and now we have to wait until February sometime for more new Walking Dead content. It's our Christmas ritual. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we'll figure out something to do. In the interim, but we've still got this whole episode to get to, and it's an extra long one, Jason. It was 50-something minutes, so we should probably dive in and not waste any more time. Okay, stop talking. Let's go. <laughs> Season 10, Episode 8.
1: The World Before.
0: Thank you, Lee and St. Catherine's. The World Before. Um And this is an interesting title, I thought, because clearly... They're trying to tell us that, you know what? This is it. This is the end of the world before. Everything that comes after this is the world after.
1: Yeah. I feel that way every time I walk through a door. Right. That's every- it. Everything's
0: led up to this. That was all just bullshit.
1: Now it's happening.
0: <laughs> I am now through this door. <laughs> yeah. And life is going to change from this moment on.
1: Yeah. So it's just, it's important to be present. Right. So I, I feel that way when I walk through a door. So it's like everything else is in the past. This is the shit that's happening right now, and this is the crap
0: I got to deal with. Yeah, that's a that's a good outlook or a good I don't know feeling on life. Like deal with Some, the present.
1: Sometimes yesterday I was very angry because my cat was meowing at me because she wanted to. She's getting old and she wanted dinner, and she's just like round round I was getting frustrated. She's like, stop yelling at me! I'm making your dinner, so it was very frustrating. To I was present, but I was I was mad at my old cute little cat.
0: Well, you know, if there's one thing I know about cats is they're extremely patient animals.
1: <laughs> that's right. I'll just wait here. Whenever you get to it, uh, you know, just put down the food, you know,
0: now, later, whatever. No problem. No problem. I know you're busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's how they feel. Yeah. Anyways, The World Before, it's an extra long episode, and I I want to talk just before we start this recap really briefly, Jason, about your general thoughts on this episode, did you like it? Did you really like it? Did you really dislike it? How do you feel about this one?
1: Well, I wish I had a dial for how much I liked it. Uh, uh, that was that would plot my enjoyment over time because it uh, it started off kind of mid, and then it really ramped up right up until the cold, cold open, or uh, until the cold open was done, and then we got through the uh, the main credits, and then it went down a little bit, and then went up, and then at the end of the episode, it just it, it took a bit of a
0: nosedive. Right. Right. I, I think that's a common sentiment about this, this episode. I feel like for me, this is going to be a difficult one to recap because tons of stuff happens. I thought there was lots of amazing and frankly, important dialogue, and I don't want to shortchange anything. So I hope I can, you know, communicate what happened in this episode effectively. Um, And overall, I thought it was amazing, or at least 95% amazing because you're absolutely right. There's one thing in this episode that really didn't work for me and we'll get to it probably in a long time. We'll get to it. But uh, overall, until that moment, I thought this was maybe one of the best episodes the show had done. And I still think it's high on the list, to be honest with you. I'm not going to let the one thing I didn't like take away from my enjoyment of it too much. Um, like I put this top 10, maybe top five all time walking dead episodes, despite the problems at the end. And I think that's saying something. I really, really enjoyed this episode.
1: Well, good. I'm glad you liked it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see, you know, later on this week, what everyone else thought about it, but, uh, let's get here into our recap. So the cold open starts, Well, uh, you know, we fade in and we have alpha talking to Dante in the past at the spikes where the heads were uh, on the border. And she's basically giving him his mission to infiltrate Alexandria. She says things like he's practical, loyal, and trustworthy. And most importantly, she mentions that Lydia doesn't know him because he's new around there.
1: Okay, so question answered. Question right? answered. We,
0: we were wondering why
1: and uh, why Lydia didn't recognize him because he's new and apparently uh, extremely loyal, even though he's new.
0: Right, exactly. And Michael in London said this was his holy crap moment. He said, holy crap, they managed to explain the whole why doesn't Lydia know Dante in about four words. <laughs> he says yep. they must have had to shoot that scene quick after Jason's, oh shit, how will they explain this comment on last week's podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sh- not a writer. There are, there are writers, they are professional writers uh, writing this shit and uh, sometimes they, they do it right.
0: Yeah, often lately. Um, Now, while Alpha is talking, we see basically how Dante did it. So the basics are he pretended to be in danger from some walkers, and he was saved by some Alexandrians. They took him back to the town, and through a bunch of clips, we see him, you know, leaving a message hidden in a tree. So I think that's him providing information out back to the Whisperers, right?
1: Yeah, he's making a, a dead drop. He's writing a note and dropping something. It's like, uh, you know, taping something to the underside of a bench and then making a mark on a mailbox so that they know. Got it. To pick it up. Got It's, it. it's tradecraft.
0: It It's another thing we, we wondered about though, right? Because it didn't seem like he ever left Alexandria, but clearly he did. At least early on, he was going out on runs and feeding out information to them. Yeah. So being a doctor is probably a dumb idea. Because you're probably, you know, 90%
1: of your job is going to be inside the organization or inside the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they've had a rough run of things with doctors in the past, which continues in this episode. But uh, why would they let them outside? Like, why would they let him go when runs? It's like, no, dude, you're the doctor. You you stay here now. Yeah. You live here. You're you're valuable. I'm not going to let you go out there, you dumb shit. It's like, but I have to deliver my note. I mean, (laughs) I really
0: need to go for a walk. (laughs) Right. I like peeing in the woods. I I need some fresh air. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a good point, but you got to remember, they also had two doctors. So maybe it did make sense to have one go out looking specifically for medical supplies that he yeah. might know best or something like that. I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, uh, feeding wood directly into a wood chipper with my right hand, uh, feeding it deep in and getting the, uh, the the stuck bits out. It's like, well, if it gets mangled, I got another one.
0: <laughs> I got two hands. I had, one's a spare, right? Right. That's why we have two of everything. That's why we
1: have two, yeah. So we have an extra.
0: Well, anyways, he was out there delivering his messages, but it's something we wondered about, so we got that answer too. We see him painting Silence the Whispers on the sidewalk, so we Mm -hmm. know he was doing that now. We also see him tampering with the water valve, of course, uh, making it so that the water was undrinkable and therefore getting everybody sick. And we also see him smothering poor Cheryl with a pillow.
1: Yeah, so, you know, if he wasn't a bastard before, he's a bastard now, right? Like, we we know it now.
0: Yeah, we very, very much do. Uh, now, Alpha offers him a special place, she says, among the Whisperers when Alexandria falls and he returns. And Dante seems very moved by this whole speech that she gives him. Uh, and we cut right from the forest to him in the bedroom after he's killed Sadiq. So right back into the present. They basically summed up his entire mission in, you know, three minutes of footage here. Maybe not even.
1: Yeah. What what kind of special plays can she offer? Like, I thought they were all pretty much just, you know, animals.
0: Well, I think she gives him a name. I think that's what it is. It's like she, she gives him a name like she gave Gamma a name, and that's how Whisperers are honored. That's my feeling. Right.
1: Oh, I see. You know, it's one of those uh, all
0: animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Right, exactly. Beta and Gamma are way more equal than the other ones. <laughs> yeah, okay. I got it. It's Animal Farm. Yeah, gotcha. he's, he's Dante, so naturally he'd be Delta, right?
1: Well, that's what I was thinking, that she would actually call him. But it, she couldn't call him Delta, because this uh, I assume that this happened before Gamma had a name. Oh yeah, right? maybe. Yeah. So she couldn't name him Delta because this it happened before, but she couldn't name him Gamma because we already have a Gamma. Mm-hmm. So she can't give him a name. Like well, she's, we're stuck now. We can't. Well, it's not anymore. But no, she couldn't have given him a name.
0: Yeah, ultimately it's a moot point right now because well, he dies later. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um. So we're back in the bedroom after he's killed Sadiq. He checks his pulse and he closes Sadiq's eyes. Then he grabs a knife to stab him in the head, but Rosita and Coco show up.
1: Yeah. So this whole scene—we're gonna—are you gonna depict the whole scene? Are you gonna talk, talk about it, or are we just gonna kind of talk about the scene in general?
0: Well, no, I'll—I'll I'll explain what's going on. I'll, I'll do that, and then you can tell me what you think. Sure. Um, so he Dante has and Rosita kind of have an awkward conversation as he tries to first cover, you know, what he's done. Uh, but she can obviously tell something is off and then he steps forward through the door, revealing the knife in his hand. Meanwhile, zombie Sadiq wakes up in the room behind him and, you know, Rosita has to react here. So she puts the baby in the bathtub, which is nearby, and then has to fend off an attack from Dante. Yeah. Now, Dante kind of gets her down, is trying to strangle her, um... And he knows that Sadiq is going to go for the crying baby, the baby making noise in the tub. And he says to her, it's okay. In nature, sometimes parents eat their young, which is just the most brutal (laughs) thing, you know, I can imagine. (laughs) I don't even know if that's true. Is that
1: true? Well, I mean, mean, some animals eat other people's young, right? Like
0: lions will eat the cubs, of a, uh, a rival, mm-hmm. right? But will they eat their own cubs? I mean, it doesn't make sense. If you do that too often, you're not going to survive as a species. So,
1: yeah. But I guess sometimes yeah, you know? it happens. I'm sure I it
0: happens. Yeah. Well, Rosita manages to fight him off and stabs him in the shoulder. Then she leave, she saves the baby by killing Zombie Sadiq. Then comes right back into Dante and punches him repeatedly in the face before grabbing Coco. And it all ends with this heartbreaking shot of dead Sadiq, like really dead Sadiq, covered in blood on the ground. And we go to the opening credits. Super dead Sadiq. Super dead Sadiq. So that is the cold open. I absolutely loved it. So much information was delivered about what was going on with Dante. Then we have this incredibly amazing, intense, um, sort of action sequence with a baby in trouble Rosita in trouble Sadiq waking up Rosita stepping up and getting the job done saving everybody it was amazing to watch and I was so on board with this episode already at this point (laughs) uh that I I thought I was just looking forward to this being the best thing I've seen in a long time
1: yeah this definitely I agree with you in everything you said this definitely was the highlight of the episode uh, a couple things I want to call out, though, is uh, this is how you show a character is dead on The Walking Dead. Like Sadiq is dead. I will concede that. I have. It's been a very long time since I've actually conceded that somebody is dead. Sadiq is dead because mm-hmm. he died, and then he became a zombie, and then he was killed again. So he's he's dead. He's double dead.
0: Yeah, super dead. <laughs> Once you're double dead. You are dead dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get, it's not It's not enough to just be dead. You have to be warm and dead. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so Sadiq is dead. I'll agree with that. No problem. mm mm-hmm. uh, The only problem I had with this scene is uh, I vicariously didn't like the crying baby. Uh, my wife really hates it when they make act- actor babies cry on TV and in movies, because you actually have to let the baby cry. You either make the baby cry or you let the baby cry. Either way, it seems cruel to make a... Like, the baby's not acting when they're crying, right? No. They're not acting. They're upset. They, they're they hungry. they got to be changed. They just got pinched.
0: Who the hell knows? But crying babies are not acting, so I have a problem with that. I know. But, I mean, sometimes for dramatic purposes, you need a crying baby. So how do you handle yes. that? You make a baby cry,
1: and it's just... It's It doesn't seem right. All right. Fair enough. So, because it's, you know, dogs, when you have a dog or a cat or any other animal in a TV show or movie, they're acting, right? unless you, you know, are unethical and you actually hurt an animal, which I, but generally speaking, if it's done right, they're acting. Everybody else is
0: acting. Yeah. Babies, when they cry, are not acting. I understand. Well, did they, did they show the baby like actually genuinely crying, or did you just yes. hear it mostly?
1: No, they showed it that baby was upset lying in that tub all right, and well. it was uh, it was not only a cry, it was a wheeze cry like this this baby was very upset okay well and i don't like I don't like it when they do stuff to babies no and it's, I it's it's understand. most mostly I get this from from my wife that she hates this kind of thing, but it's been ingrained in me to pay attention to this because she mentions it every time it happens, so fair enough. I don't like it when they put babies in, in danger, in like in theory, theoretical danger or in plot danger, and I don't like it when they make babies cry on TV. Well, other than that, though, everything about
0: this was fantastic.
1: Yes, this definitely was a great uh, fight scene. It was, uh, it was intense. The fact that uh, Coco was there just added a, a layer of uh, intensity, and then Sadiq b- being a zombie, me going, holy shit, he's actually dead, and, uh, and then going after the baby.
0: You know, uh, yeah, that's, that's what makes it so, um, really so tense because, you know, she's got to first deal with Dante and then do that in time to get back there and save her child, which is insane. Oh, and then she's got to stab her baby daddy in the head. Yeah. Without thinking about it, like with no hesitation either. And, and she does it, which is, that's just heartbreaking in itself. Um, was there any, because listen, because I wasn't. 100% 100% convinced that Sadiq was dead, you know, before he got up as a zombie. Uh-huh. Was there any second or fraction of a second when you saw his eyes move, you thought, oh my God, he is alive and he's going to save the day?
1: No, because we heard him making zombie noises before that happened.
0: Like we, you could oh. hear the zombie noises coming out of the room
1: before we ever saw anything. Okay. So they telegraphed it.
0: Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize, I didn't really pick up on the zombie noises. So when his eyes moved, I'm like, "Oh my god, he's alive!" Oh no, he's a zombie. <laughs> no, he's, been, he's there was there was zombie growling noises. Okay, fair enough. Anyways, so we come back after the opening credits, and we are with Aaron at the border. Gamma comes up to him in a real no bullshit kind of mood. It looks like, and she wants to know if the Whisperer baby that Connie saved way back is still alive. And she reveals to him that it was her nephew and she wants to see him. Oh. So she offers a trade, information to see the baby. And Aaron makes her take her mask off and says that he can't promise anything, but give me the information and we'll talk. And Gamma reveals that her real name is Mary. Mary. Yeah. So we're getting some information about Mary here. Uh, we go Unless it's a lie. Well, it could be. Could be. I don't know. But for now, I think we're meant to believe that it's actually Mary, and she is having a crisis of faith. Like, should she stick with the Whisperers, or does she want to betray them and see her nephew? Right. Well, having a name like Mary is a little on the nose. If that's the case, okay, maybe. <laughs> but I don't think it's a lie. But you're right; it didn't occur to me. It could be. Yeah, I mean, if you're going
1: to make up a name, that'd be that'd be that'd
0: be a good one. A good one. Yeah, sure. Well, we go over to Daryl, Carol, Father Gabe, and Rosita talking to Dante, who is now conscious again, and they're sitting in the uh, infirmary, it looks like. Father Gabe questions the ideology that he, uh, he put Sadiq through everything in the barn just to kill him months later. There's no logic to that, he says. And Dante says it wasn't part of the plan and that he liked Sadiq, but he found out who he was, so he had no choice but to kill him. And he also talks about the plan to encourage their paranoia about the whisperers just by being there and doing things that will, that will do that. Uh, He says he looks forward to them struggling with what to do with them. And he says, you got something from me too, which is some help and some doctoring and stuff like that. And they can't pretend that they didn't get anything from him. And, and basically Dante is here questioning their entire approach to society pretty much Um, sort of saying like what you guys have going on here doesn't work, you know, and it's all going to fall apart at some point, Uh, which many people seem to believe. Certainly whisperers believe, but sometimes when, even when supposedly good guys show up, uh, they don't tend to believe that what's going on at a place is going to work. Remember when Rick showed up at Alexandria, he basically killed some people and took the place over because he didn't agree with how they were doing things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's 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 hubris to think that uh, a society you don't agree with uh doesn't work and should be brought down. Uh it's it's unfortunate and all societies are going to fall, right? I think of uh, sorry sorry for the spoiler to uh the end of uh what was it? I really don't know. It was one of the movies in the Marvel universe where the robot came.
0: James Spader <laughs> was a robot. Oh, yeah. Born? in um, uh, Ultron, Age of Ultron.
1: Age of Ultron. So yeah. it was at the end of that, after Vision was, uh, was born uh, or became into being, and Ultron said, uh, uh, how can you uh, be with these people? Their society is doomed. And Vision said, uh, yeah, I know, but that doesn't make it not beautiful. Right? Just right. because it's doomed doesn't mean that
0: it's not good. Right, exactly. So, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be allowed to run its course, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're also fulfilling your own prophecy. I mean, the society's doomed, and I'm going to prove it to you by bringing it down. It's like, <laughs> well, of course, the logic in that? But then again, you know, Alpha doesn't have uh, a really a logical leg to stand on because she's been all over the friggin' map.
0: No, that's true. But you know what? Dante is more coherent and eloquent than I think most of the Whisperers we've seen, to be honest with you. He's he before he turned or (laughs) before he was revealed to be evil, I thought he was a pretty likable guy. So he was playing the character really well. Like, like yeah, I thought he was mildly annoying, but yes. Well, goof, um, occasionally mildly annoying, but a little bit goofy. And I I found he was likable, like the character that the whisperer was playing, not the character that the actor was playing, if you know what I mean. Likeable guy, which is which is exactly what he needed to do going in there and to get everybody on his side. And he was going to work from, you know, cause chaos on the inside. So he's one of those likable guys that I would think, oh, he's a likable guy. And then not want to hang out with him or, or, or take him in small doses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're great. I think you're fantastic,
0: but go away for a little while. Right. (laughs) But let's not hang out that much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Let's just, you know, let's, uh, let's be awesome apart. Right. You're awesome, but be awesome over there. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be awesome over here. We're just going to be awesome separately. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we can be awesome in short periods, uh, in the future. Once maybe. in a while.
0: Yeah. 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 I'll let you know. Well, before this scene ends, he mentions all the people on spikes and Rosita kicks him in the back off the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just boots him down. Well, yeah. If you're going to hurt somebody, you kick him in the back. Right. That hurts a lot. Uh, Aaron at this moment comes in and questions how none of them knew he was a traitor. Uh, Daryl and Carol say that they have to keep their heads straight at this point. Aaron mentions now that Gamma told him where the herd is. So that's the information she got from her or he got from her. Uh, Carol of course wants to immediately go, but Daryl isn't sure and thinks it's probably an ambush. You know, why, why trust them? He's, he's right. Really? And then Aaron mentions the baby and says that he doesn't think Gamma is lying. So they agree to get a group from Hilltop to meet them. And Aaron is going to radio Michonne and let her know what's going on because she's over at Oceanside. Mm -hmm. Uh, Daryl questions Carol about Lydia, and they clearly don't see eye to eye on the way that they've treated her, wherever she is at this point. Yeah, well, they haven't been really. Seeing eye to eye in the last little while anyway. No, no, they haven't. I think it's an interesting conflict too between these two characters, characters who've always been pretty tight with each other. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And did I, did, and did I see that right? That Daryl lit up a smoke in the middle of the hospital?
0: Um, he was smoking indoors in the scene. In the scene, he, you know, no. lit
1: up this this cigarello type thing and uh, started smoking. They're in the first of all, you're in society, like you're in a, a group of people. Second of all, you're indoors, and third of all, you're in the goddamn hospital.
0: Well, I think of all those reasons, being in the infirmary is probably the last place you want to smoke. If you want to go and smoke in your own house, now whatever, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's a, it's a, sort of an inappropriate location.
1: It's it's just rude. It's rude and unsanitary. I think I don't think Daryl should have smoked there, and
0: nobody stopped him. It's like, hey, 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 can you just, you know, light that up later? <laughs> Take it outside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, we now jump over to Michonne, who we haven't seen for a while. Yeah. And turns out they're not at Oceanside yet. They're still on the road to Oceanside. So yeah, they're they're riding along in their automobile. They certainly are. But it feels like it's taken them a long time to get there. But I guess. It hasn't been that much time passed yet.
1: Yeah, it's okay. I mean it it takes a long time to get from one place to another in this society and uh, just be happy that they didn't take a plane or a helicopter or a oh. balloon.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm very happy they didn't take any of those ridiculous modes of transportation that would never work in the Walking Dead universe.
1: That's right. Except we do have
0: helicopters in this uh in this particular show, but we haven't seen one in a while. We haven't seen one in a while. Um, but one did show up recently on, um, on a trailer for the new Walking Dead show that starts in the spring, which we'll probably talk about at some point. Super. Uh,
1: yeah. I haven't seen that trailer yet.
0: No, it came out today or yesterday. Um, anyways, Ooh. uh, they're on the road. Scott is with them and he finds some fresh prints that he says look like a living person. Uh, but just one. And Michonne says, if it's a scout, like a whisperer spout, a scout, uh, you know, one isn't dangerous. But they should be quiet as they proceed, and as they did can. You just, did you just say that you, they saw they found a fresh prince? Uh, did I no? I think I said the word spout. A fresh spout, maybe. No, you said you said they found a fresh prince. Oh, fresh prince. Yeah. Well, well, so they found the fresh prince. Well, cool. Good thing they found him because he's very helpful in the zombie. Yeah, sorry, sorry to der- derail you there. That's okay. <laughs> I didn't even think of fresh prince. <laughs> well, we found one. Now I won't be able to stop. So they continue driving and Judith and Luke start talking about music because he was whistling. And Judith is taking notes in a notebook and says that it's a record of everything that happens to them. She calls it our stories for the future. It's a journal. It is a journal. Uh, Luke says that they're going through a town coming up soon with a really good library. So he wants to stop and get some more inspiration, like music books and stuff like that. Now, I swear, Jason, if Judith recording everything in a notebook that happens to them isn't the single most important thing to happen on this show in a long time, especially when considering the fact that the show might end someday, I don't know what is. Explain. She's writing down everything that's going to happen. I think this show is going to end with her record of events being important in some way.
1: Okay so we're going to jump 300 years in the future and we're going to be talking about this uh this journal that somebody wrote uh back in during the zombie apocalypse when it first started 100%. And then, yeah and then they'll point a, a laser beam at the book and they'll bring bring her back using science.
0: <laughs> well I don't know about that bit but the journal is going to be important. The that book might be the last thing or that journal might be the last thing we see on screen when the walking dead ends. And I'm just speculating here I don't know but Come on, characters on TV don't write down journals of everything that's happening unless it's going to be important later.
1: Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, we've we've seen characters write journals before on TV and movies. I can't think of anything specific
0: other than Bridget Jones's diary. Because it doesn't happen. And in Bridget Jones's diary, the diary is probably very important, right?
1: Well, it is, but, they, you know, everybody knows the diary is rubbish, right? You don't write down your actual thoughts. You write down what. You think your thoughts should be. Anyway, uh, have you ever kept a journal? Never. I have. I've kept a journal in some way or another since grade school. I mean, I haven't written in a long time, but I have uh, you know, a, an extensive journal collection. Mm-hmm. And it's I like to think that someday somebody's going to read it, but there's a
0: real good chance that nobody will ever read it. Uh, send them over to my house. I'll read them.
1: Oh, yeah. That'll be fun. you see, okay, today I went to work, and then I went home, and then... <laughs> Uh,
0: nothing else happened. I watched TV. That was fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's been, a, it's been a few years since I've, uh, I've actually actively journaled.
0: Well, I've never done it, but I'm just saying like characters on TV don't make this kind of a point. I don't think without it being a thing in, in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if they reference it again as the seasons go on. Uh, or we just sort of see her carrying it around, see her sitting, writing in it, things like that. So, I just think it's going to be important. And as soon as she said it, it jumped out at me. So we'll have to see where the show goes though. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we cut to the library that they're getting to and they're entering the library. It seems safe. So they fan out and they look for books and supplies and things like that. Judith grabs a Russian English dictionary for Eugene. Very helpful. And Michonne and Judith take a look at a book, but she gets a call on the radio about... What happened to Sadiq? Although we don't really see the conversation because we cut over to Luke, who's looking around the music section, and he gets attacked by a couple of zombies that are reaching through the lower shelves of the bookcase.
1: Friggin' librarians. They're always sneaking around somewhere. Sneaky, quiet librarians. Yeah. They Just waiting yeah. for someone to walk by. Jump out at you. You think uh, their primary reason for coming to the library is to look for toilet paper material?
0: What, like tear up books and use them as toilet paper?
1: Yeah, I remember, uh, I think it was uh, in the States, it was one of the catalogs that uh, was widely distributed that they stopped sending out the catalogs and people complained uh, to the company that they wouldn't send the catalogs out anymore because uh, they didn't have proper toilet paper material. You'd leave them in the outhouse, they'd flip through the catalog, rip out a page, wipe their ass, and then you'd move on with your lives. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it wasn't until, uh, fun fact, it wasn't until, like, the early 1900s that uh, they started advertising toilet paper as splinter-free. Mm, less wood. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: uh, yeah, if you think our society sucks, think of that. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Well, that sounds like an urban legend to me, but who knows? Maybe... Maybe it's true. No, everything I say is true. Oh, sorry. You're right. Yeah. I'll never, doubt, never <laughs> doubt you again. <laughs> I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. Yeah, there you go. Well, um, he's attacked, Luke. And so he starts yelling for help. And then he's saved by a mystery guy who flees out the back door. And we don't really get a good look at him. Yeah. Uh, once my, my first thought was Michael from Michael? Lost. Oh. I thought it was Michael from Lost. It's not though. It's the guy from no, not. from leftovers, the neighbor from leftovers. That's oh, who that yeah, was. Yeah, that I knew. I recognized him. I just I got the wrong show. Yeah, there you go. Well, he runs off, and then Michonne and the rest of the group show up. Uh, Scott goes after the guy, but, and Michonne grabs his stuff, his orange backpack, and then says Sadiq is dead. So she's not very happy at that moment. Yes. After a commercial break, we come back and Father Gabe is speaking at Sadiq's funeral. Everybody's around, including Eugene and Ezekiel, who I guess made the trip from Hilltop? Yeah, you got there just in time. I guess so, yeah. They all start throwing uh, dirt on the grave and Rosita sits down beside it. And, you know, Father Gabe says some nice words. Um, As people are dispersing, Carol has a chat with Ezekiel before she leaves and he's clearly having a rough time still, of course, because you know, as we know, he has cancer, which is something we basically discovered and hasn't come back up again. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure it will play an important part down the road. Uh, but he doesn't mention this to Carol. I guess he doesn't want to upset her. And then he wishes her good luck on the mission to Alpha's herd, asks if he can help, but she says they're good.
1: Yeah. So you can always use more help when you're attacking a, zombie herd well you yeah know, owned by the whispers it's like yes
0: you always say yes I think we could use some help when somebody Thank asks you. you if you need help you say yes
1: <laughs> yeah if you're if you're going on an undercover mission to attack a large force uh, defended by another large capable enemy then uh, yeah you take some fucking help no no we got this we're just gonna send in uh, three squirrels and uh, and two turtles and that
0: will be fine <laughs> That's a dream team right? That's the A team. 3 squirrels and 2 turtles. <laughs>
1: well, the turtles are armored, but you have the squirrels running around, uh, you know, they're they're fast. Right. Right? So it's uh it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> exactly. You know, you got you got your you got your tanks and your uh, you know, your, your little men running around. It's 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 great. Your infantry. Uh, yeah, qu- quick aside. Uh, do you ever wonder about how uh, a photon can act like a wave and a particle at the same time? No, Jason, how can a
0: photon and a wave act like a particle (laughs) at the same time?
1: It's not a joke. That's a real thing. Uh, A photon sometimes behaves, well, it behaves like a particle and it behaves like a wave. And if you ever wonder how that's possible, watch a squirrel run across the road because it's a thing,
0: but when it runs, it looks like a wave. Okay. That's it. (laughs) I'll I'll keep that in mind next time I watch a squirrel run across the road. I see it almost every day, so (laughs) there's a lot of squirrels around here. A lot of squirrels everywhere around here. Yeah, that's true. Um, So we see Rosita. She's walking back home, I guess, and she hears some zombies outside the wall. So she goes out to kill them, and she puts on this really awesome pair of brass knuckles that has spikes on them so she can, like, punch spikes into their faces, which is pretty sweet. Cool. Uh, She gets into some trouble, though, of course, because one of them (laughs) is wearing a helmet, and Eugene shows up to help her out. After the zombie is dead, they have a quick talk, and he says he's on his way home, indicating that he's probably going to stay at Hilltop, although he kind of cuts himself off on the word home, right? Because he maybe doesn't want to quite admit that he's not coming back to Alexandria.
1: Or maybe he was he's so comfortable with Rosita that he forgot to eugenify his language, and it was just changing. I would normally say home- uh but I'm trying to uh distance myself from you, so I'm gonna eugenify that and say domicile.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's that element too to it, right? In his current emotional state and who he's talking to, he almost does dial back the eugeneness a little bit. Like you can you can feel it, right? Which is which is weird. It almost indicates like he's he's playing this character to keep people at arm's length a little bit, right? It's like if yeah. I act super weird people i won't have to get close to anybody right
1: uh yeah because it will keep keep people at arm's length when you're talking like that it's just like whoa dude yeah i like you and everything but uh you know go be awesome over there i'm gonna <laughs> you know you may be out with dante i'm gonna go be awesome over here yeah uh,
0: you know see you later buddy it's the same it's the same thing just a little bit different right you just you're awesome i'd love to hang out with you but uh you know no. what? I got to go. Not right now. Yeah. Busy. Yeah.
1: Got to go, uh, bake a cake. <laughs> I got to go, uh, you know, see a man about a magazine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, at, at the same time though, this is a really nice scene because he does offer his condolences and, <laughs> and then he does the classic thing that everybody does at some point in their life. He wishes her safe travels, but then he realizes he's the one who's traveling.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right? That's that that's exactly right. When uh you remember when I bought the uh, the recording thing to travel to Lexington that one time? Yes. And I went to Longham and McQuaid and I picked it up and I was he's like, Oh, what do you need this for? It's like, Well, I'm going on a trip, I need to do some podcasting, so I need to take it with me and then as I was leaving, he said, Oh, have a nice trip I said, Okay, you too.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that it happens. It happens. It's happened to everybody. And that's sort of what happens to him he- here. And it was one of the things that made this scene really work for me. It felt real. It, you could feel the connection between these two characters. It was somehow funny and sad at the same time, like genuinely sad, not disappointing sad. You know, um, there was it was like the perfect bit of sort of awkwardness between them. But you could also tell they were really uh, close or, or have known each other for a long time. So I thought both these actors killed it in this scene and plus it was written really well. So again, just the episode is still on the up for me and I've been loving every minute of it to this point. Awesome. So we go to father Gabe though, and he's watching the video that they made with Dante, his original interview. So that's something they're still doing after all these years, videotaping newcomers to Alexandria. And Dante is on tape talking about being a father and just trying to get by. Gabe asks him how many people he's killed. And he says, just one man who tried to hurt his son, but Walker's got him in the end anyways. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a pretty good sob story. Um, Then Rosita comes in and says that she was helping Eugene with some walkers at the gate, but then turns around and says, no, that wasn't the truth. In fact, Eugene was helping me. She expresses her feelings about how she doesn't want to die, leaving Coco an orphan, things like that, but Gabe doesn't really hear her or take her feelings seriously, and he says they'll pass, her feelings will pass, and they have bigger things to worry about right now, and of course, they end up arguing, because that's a really insensitive thing to say.
1: It's a horrible thing. If you're in a relationship with someone and they tell you your feelings, and then you tell them that their feelings don't quite matter, that's a mistake. It is. It's not how that works, really. Yeah. I'm sorry your feelings are not valid, and I'll tell you
0: why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay. The
1: conversation's not gonna go the way you think, pal.
0: No. And and because of this, Rosita says that maybe Dante was right. They aren't as strong as they think they are. So Right, which, you know, really riles them up. Uh yeah, I guess it does, but we don't see that really. We just sort of cut away. To a commercial break. And when we come back, we are with a scene. With Aaron, he's playing a, like, name the state capitals game with Gracie, who's kind of all grown up now compared to the, you know, when we first met her. And he tells her this story about a time he was hiking in California. They came to an ancient Native American village, and he thought about how society has changed and how these people have disappeared. Um, He also mentions that he was one of the first people at Alexandria back when they had high hopes for what it could be. And Gracie asks, what happened to those people? And he says, I don't know. And, and again, this was just a, another great scene, I thought, which I think a lot of people kind of just gloss over. But when you think about it, he's kind of saying, you know, this is short-lived and this might not last forever. And someday no one might remember us being here. And, and on the flip yep. side, someday no one might remember the Whisperers being here either. Right? It's all fleeting and it could disappear at any time.
1: Better keep a journal
0: better you better write everything down. see it's all coming together, yeah, uh, so back with michonne and her gang, they arrive at Oceanside now. She warns them about Dante and how they can no longer trust any new people uh so th- and then at that point, they bring a new guy in struggling who they found trying to steal a boat, and Luke pipes up and says, "This is the guy that saved me in the library. He's not all bad." You know, he saved me. Yeah. But of course, nobody trusts him. And Luke suggests that they have some mercy on the guy. But suddenly a whole bunch of zombies attack. I guess the commotion attracted them, or maybe this new guy kind of brought them in if they were following him. So they have to start fighting off the zombies. And Michonne suddenly realizes that she doesn't know where Judith is, who was Uh-oh. momentarily, you know, a moment ago, just standing right beside her. Kids. <laughs> yeah, they can just run off at any... Moment. You got to watch out. It's almost like they have minds of their own. Almost. You would, you would almost think that. Yeah. Yeah. So father Gabe comes into the cell to talk to Dante. So we're back in Alexandria now. He questions him about what he said on the video about having a son. Uh, you know, Dante says, trusting people in this world is a meaningless idea. So Gabe opens up the lock and enters the cell, which I'm thinking, Wow. That's a pretty good sign of trust. I'm going to walk in here with you and make myself vulnerable to you. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, not quite, it's maybe the other way around, but or you're <sighs> thinking it's more of a power play like walk in. Well,
1: I don't know if it's a power play, but uh, I'm pretty sure he knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, the moment he went downstairs.
0: Oh, oh I agree with you a hundred percent, but I'm saying me as a viewer, not knowing what's about to happen. I thought oh. he's like, you know, Dante says you can't trust anybody. It's a mistake or it's a meaningless idea. So father Gabe is like, okay, I, I, I'm going to open this gate, trusting you to prove you wrong kind of thing. Right now. It Dante doesn't...
1: really sucks at this, you know, like his, uh, now that he's caught, he he's not... He's just kind of throwing shit in their faces left, right, and center. He's just asking to be killed. Like, well, by either Carol or Daryl or uh, Rosita. But as <laughs> as it turns out, none of those people kill him. But he's just... He's just
0: asking for it. He, he is, but I kind of appreciated that. Like, he didn't... He didn't try to keep up the facade, right? He didn't try to grovel to them or beg for forgiveness or whatever. He just... He continued to toe the party line and say, you know what, we do not agree with what's going on here. We're trying to take you down because we fundamentally believe different things than you guys here at Alexandria about what the hell's going on in this society. And I I kind of appreciated that. I liked that. And I thought the guy who plays Dante did an amazing job, too. He did. He did. It was good. Very good. This episode had all of his best acting, I think, that we've seen. Um over the course of this show and it's amazing that it it all comes out when he is sort of reverted back to his quote unquote evil persona right he he seems to be really good at that
1: yeah well maybe
0: yeah maybe he'll be evil in something else yeah maybe he will so dante as gabe walks in dante backs up his feelings by saying nobody is good in this world nobody's good Father Gabe questions whether people deserve second chances. And he says, I think he says that, um, sometimes, you know, sometimes people, he doesn't know if people deserve second chances, but sometimes they get one. And, and, and now I'm thinking, it seems to me like he's suggesting that Dante can have a second chance and he's going to either let him go or, you know, maybe let him live in this cell as a prisoner for a while. But, turns out that's not the case. Father Gabe no. pulls out a knife, stabs him repeatedly, over and over again, and kills Dante.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it was very prison-like,
0: like lots of stabs, little stabs. Uh, yeah, fast and quick, right? It, it's like, it was yep. like, <laughs> well, Keith on Facebook wrote, holy crap, did Negan teach Father Gabe how to stab like that? Because <laughs> Negan stabbed that wild boar quickly and, that's right. you know, over and over again, so.
1: Maybe they, maybe, yeah, maybe they had conversations about how to stab people. Right. You really want to kill a dude
0: quick? Stab fast.
1: Stab lots of times, lots of holes to bleed out. And, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the best thing to do. Like, don't just stab him once and then go, yeah, you know what? I think you're probably down. That's exactly what Rosita did, right? She stabbed him in the, in the, uh, in the shoulder Uh and she went, yeah, you're down. And then went in the other room to deal with, uh, uh, zombie Sadiq and then came back. And he was already getting up, so she had to
0: knee him in the face. Well, she punched him in the face repeatedly. I suppose she could have stabbed him some more.
1: Yeah, she kneed him in the face to get him on the ground and then she punched him repeatedly. Okay. Well, I'm which, glad... which is just gonna fuck up your hand. Like you really shouldn't do that. Like punch people in the heads are hard. Oh like, yeah. They're 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 protecting that brain pen, uh you know, protecting that brain that you carry around in the top of your head for some reason. Uh they're really hard. You and the bones in your hand are very delicate, so uh be careful.
0: Mm-hmm. Like don't don't do that. She wasn't wearing her spiked um brass knuckles.
1: Yeah, well that's why I invented brass knuckles, right? So that to protect your fucking hand from <laughs> uh from being damaged. Yeah. And I you know, and they used to have uh Instead, before boxing with the gloves, they used to just be bare-fisted, right? And the uh, the fights were actually less brutal because you couldn't punch really hard. Because if you punched really hard, you'd bust up your hand. So the, the fights were actually a lot more, uh, a lot less violent. But once they put the gloves on, you could hit as hard as you wanted without uh, worrying about damaging your hand that much. So the the hits got harder. And boxing is uh, much more brutal
0: now that they put on the gloves. It's yeah, weird, but it's true. Interesting. Yeah. Even though there's some padding provided by the gloves, but you yeah, don't have to hold back.
1: You don't have to hold back. That's the thing. So uh, she was not holding back and she probably uh, has one hell of a messed up hand. Remember Rick did that in the comic? He uh, punched somebody and he he beat the shit out of somebody in the first uh, like issue 20 or something like that. And he really mangled up his hand.
0: I sort of do. It's been a while since I've read that, but I mean, you've seen that happen before. I think probably even yeah. on the TV show, maybe just a couple yeah. people like bust a finger or something.
1: Yeah. It happens when you, uh, when you get into a fight. So she should be careful. Yeah. she really Or wear should. the
0: brass knuckles, you know, just to be safe. True. But I'm glad she didn't kill, uh, Dante in that opening scene because it would have robbed us of all this good stuff with him throughout this episode up until this point where he is now for sure dead.
1: Yeah. And now we get a prison preacher murder. And everything's good. Everything is back to normal. <laughs> the <laughs> priests, right. the priests are killing
0: people. <laughs> uh, yeah, the one-eyed preacher, prison murder. There you go. So we have we take a commercial break and we return to Oceanside. Uh, the, we're still in this sort of zombie fight. The new guy is running away, but Judith slices him in his leg and he goes down. She then goes over to kill a walker and holds him at sword point and calls for her mom, Michonne. Which was a pretty fun scene, I thought. Judith being awesome? I enjoy watching that. Judith being awesome is awesome. Yeah. Um, back in Alexandria, Rosita is inside holding Coco. She's reassuring the baby that she'll grow up knowing safety and family. Really, she's reassuring herself of these things, I think. Uh, she looks out the window and she sees Father Gabe leaving the cell with blood on him. And I'm pretty... Clear, or I'm pretty sure it's clear that she knows exactly what's gone down in there. Yep. I think so. Now we cut over to Daryl, Carol, and Aaron in the forest. They meet up with Connie, Kelly, Jerry, and Magna. So this is the team from Hilltop that is going to join them on their mission. And Daryl, as they're walking along, uh says thanks for helping to Connie. And she responds by pulling out her notepad, opening it to a page with the words anything for us written on it. Now remind me, Mr. Miles, because I made a note here that it it was already written down. She didn't have to take out a pen and write that. She had it pre written. Yep. But is this what she wrote when um Henry took off and her and Daryl went to went after him that night? Or was that something else?
1: So you think, you think that this notebook that she has is
0: a flip book of standard responses? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it was interesting to me that those words were already written down, right? And I don't, yeah, okay. like, like they're important words and it could be the a kind of a mantra mantra that she lives by, you know, anything for us sort of thing. That's kind of something she believes, right? Or, and I think that's really interesting, or... What did she write down when her and Daryl went after Henry? I I don't, I actually don't think it was this, but I'd have to go back and check what that was because either way, I think it's interesting. Either she wrote it down back then and she's decided to live by these words or she's just picked up this phrase at some point and it's a thing she, she believes in. So either way, I think it was interesting that she didn't have to write it down. She just showed it to him.
1: Uh, Yeah. I think maybe we're supposed to assume that she wrote it down and we just didn't see it. No. sorry to fuck with your whole theory, but it it seems to me like, uh, either the, the, the the time it would take to show her writing it down,
0: uh, they didn't want to take, so they didn't show it. I know, but they've shown, I mean, in an episode that was already 10 or 15 minutes extra time and they've shown her writing stuff so much in the past. I think it was – I don't think they just cut it out. I think this was pre-written, and I think it just means something. It tells us something about her character, right, that she has these words to live by kind of thing. Okay. But I just wasn't clear if it was new or if it came from the Henry thing. But uh, in any case, I liked it, and I thought it was – ju- I
1: just assumed it was uh, – that they she had written it down, and we just didn't see that part of uh, –
0: I even think the way it was was shot, like you see her take it out, open it, and immediately show it to him. Like I know there's a cut there, but it didn't feel to me like they were cutting out time. But I don't know. Let us know what you guys think if if it was already written or if she wrote it down or if there's anything more to it than that. We'll have to see. Um so now it is nighttime. The group comes to the border and they cross over, of course. Daryl and Carol hang back a little bit as everybody else proceeds. Um, She seems to notice something in the forest and almost steps on a bear trap. One of those foot traps. Oops. Yep. Daryl notices it, prevents her from stepping on it, and then suggests that Carol is getting careless in her desire to have Alpha killed. Um, he says that she hasn't been the same since getting off that boat and that she needs to open up and she can trust him. Uh to which Carol starts crying. They hug it out and he says Alpha's not worth it. She's a dead woman anyways because we have a future. And uh Carol sort of agrees, but she's also kind of cagey in all of this stuff. She's not really opening up to Daryl. So she walks ahead and kills a zombie as she goes.
1: There you go. Yeah. I I think she's just kind of, she's very closed off at the moment. And I'm starting to
0: worry that Carol's going to die at the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all, to be honest with you. I was sort of thinking the same thing. Um, Carol has always been a major character for the most part, always been at the forefront. She's had stuff to do on this show before which sort of made me feel like they're building her up for a big, you know, emotional death and it hasn't played out that way. Right. But I got to think now might be the time we might be leading towards that, but I I really don't know. And I'm going to be bummed if it happens because she's the one character who I feel like I've really enjoyed almost the entire run of the show. Right. She's one of the few originals left. So, yeah, I agree. I would I would hate to see Melissa McBride leave the show. It would be a huge bummer. I have a an audio clip somewhere of her saying, "My name is Melissa McBride and you're listening to the Talking Dead podcast." I should play that. Nice. You should play that. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, we do a commercial break and when we return, Father Gabe is burning Dante's body. That's something we don't see very often. And Rosita comes to his side puts her head on his shoulder, and it's a completely wordless scene, but you get the idea. Um, She, I think she realizes that he snapped at her earlier because he's got a lot going on, he's got under a lot of pressure, and he was considering going down into a jail cell and murdering a dude, which is going to weigh on you.
1: Right. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's different than saying to someone, your feelings don't matter. Right. We got bigger things to worry about. What you do is you actually just say, uh, you know, like, can we talk about this a little bit later? I'm contemplating murdering that guy in the cell, uh, while he's unarmed mm-hmm. and I'm going to stab him like a whole bunch of times. So I got to plan it out cause I only have one eye and if he comes at me from the left or from the right, I'm screwed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Can
0: you give me a minute? Just give me a minute. <laughs> and then I'll completely respect your feelings. <laughs> I tell you
1: what. I'm going to re- I I appreciate you talking to me. I respect your feelings, but can you go be
0: awesome upstairs for a little while? I got to murder this dude. <laughs> I'll I'll meet you at a fire later and we'll be awesome together.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll watch we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll stand around the fire and uh smell his burning flesh. <laughs> oh God, romantically.
0: Gross. <laughs> um, but th- the fact that this scene is quiet or wordless, I mean, the the whole, the message is portrayed though. Like you get what's going on here, right? They're, yeah. they had their, their fight or their moment of disagreement, but I think they're pretty solid and they've come back together again right here. I would think so. To celebrate a guy's murder. Who knows? It's the walking Yeah. Game. Well, you know, it's the little things. It's the little things. Yeah. We cut over to Oceanside and the new guy, he wakes up with his wrists bound Judith is sitting there watching him while reading a book. He says that the book was for his daughter and lunges at her, but uh, she, you know, gets out of the way. He falls on his face, and then Michonne approaches and asks Judith to leave them alone for a minute. They're going to have a little chat. Yeah. So Michonne doesn't trust this guy, of course, and wants to know what he's really doing there. Um, She thinks that he's been watching them, and... Eventually, he reveals that he's out looking for supplies and is just trying to get back to his family. And he says he helped Luke in the library just because he needed it for no other reason. Someone needed help, and he helped him. Yeah. Um, And then he mentions that mercy is in short supply these days, which, of course, gets to Michonne because it reminds her of when Rick used to say, my mercy prevails over my wrath. We haven't heard that in a long time. Well, not in a long time. And when you consider that it's been years since Rick was there, you know, um, Michonne might not have heard that in a long time, but she's clearly not forgotten it. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And this is the point of course, where she starts to trust him a little bit. Uh, I think it's just kind of lucky for him that he mentioned the word mercy, which is what got to her and what you know, made her come over, come around a little bit to trusting him. Um, And he says that he lives on Bloodsworth Island out in Tangier Sound and he needs a boat to get back there. So that's all he was doing. He was trying to steal a boat to get back to his family. Okay. First of all, is that a real place? It is indeed a real place. In fact, it's actually a real island, Bloodsworth Island. I looked it up.
1: Okay, cool. How'd he get here
0: without a boat? Well, I'm sure he took a boat, but maybe it got destroyed.
1: Well, he shouldn't be trusted with another one then.
0: <laughs> well, I guess not, but he has a partner on the boat that he takes this time.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, it's it's good to have a chaperone mm-hmm. if you can't be trusted to, you know, sail your
0: own boat. Yeah, or or maybe he he made landfall like somewhere else, traveled up the coast or down the coast, and then he was so he's not close to his original boat now and he needs another one.
1: Yeah. Maybe he took boat building uh, a boat building course uh, taught by John Dory. Uh, when mm-hmm. they had to cross the, that water and he really sucked at it. So maybe this guy sucked at boat <laughs> oh, building yeah, and the boat right. sank halfway through.
0: I forgot about that. John Dory tries to build a raft and it basically doesn't work at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Poor John Dory. I still love that guy, but can't build a boat to save his life.
1: No. Well, he, you know, he's a trick shooter. He's, he can't do everything. He's not a jack of all trades. He's just, you know, I
0: am a lover and a shooter and not a sailor. Definitely not a sailor. No. Yeah. Um, anyways, the dude also mentions to Michonne that, uh, he can help her fight or he has something that can help her fight against her enemies. Yeah. So later on, Michonne tells Judith that he has weapons that could maybe kill the herd alpha's herd. And Michonne is going to go with him to the Island alone. Just the two of them. Um, and she, she tells Judith that she can't come, uh, and if it can end the war, she has to go and find out. So we go back to the group who are going after the herd. Uh, they arrive at the location where the herd is supposed to be. They look down into the valley and nothing is there. So Daryl's pretty pissed off. He now believes that Gamma lied to them. Um, and he goes to leave. But Aaron says the herd might have been there recently Uh, You know, he doesn't, Or um, Aaron doesn't believe that Gamma lied uh, and, you know, there must be something to this. Daryl wants to go find Lydia and as they all leave, Aaron says to Carol that he wasn't wrong. Like, I'm not wrong about this. There's something going on here. And as they all leave, well, everybody leaves except Carol who kind of lingers staring down into the valley a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks like there's been a herd here recently. Everything's all trampled and stuff, so
0: it looks like they they just kind of moved uh, away recently. Well, yeah, I thought it looked like that a little bit too, um, but I can understand Daryl kind of being pissed off, right? He was the one skeptic- skeptical from the beginning and sort of saying that this is probably an ambush. Maybe we shouldn't go exactly where they tell us to.
1: Right, so the, the idea... Well, the best thing to do is to get there notice that the zombies are not where they're supposed to be and then stand around and talk about it for a while <laughs> right wait until you're
0: attacked yeah so well, what else could they do they bas- they left pretty fast though uh, they did
1: but mm-hmm. they should have been oh shit let's go talk about this and get the get the ham and cheese out of there and go talk about it someplace else where it's a little safer
0: yeah yeah probably uh instead though this is what they do and we go to a commercial break So, return from the break, we're back in Oceanside. Michonne is telling the mystery guy that she will take him home in exchange for his weapons and that his debt to Oceanside will be paid off because of this. What debt? Well, his debt for stealing a boat, causing some commotion, and leading, I guess, zombies into the place. Like, earlier Uh on, Cindy, or one of the Oceansiders, I I forget who, said that, you know, you did this, we've hung men for less. So they take this shit pretty seriously.
1: (laughs) Well, that's true, but it just, it sounds like, uh, when you say, you know, pay off your debt, it's like, wow, okay, you stole the sale, that's 50 bucks. And then, uh, you, uh, came within our border, that's 25, uh, and then you ran, that's like 30 bucks right there. Mm -hmm. So... That's what, $120 $20 that you owe us? So you got you to gotta, you gotta work that off. Yeah. Right? So start washing dishes or maybe give us a bunch of weapons. It's up to you.
0: It's up to you. I mean, you may be thinking of debt a little too monetarily. Monetarily? Is that a word? Well,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could... Ha, 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 is there another meaning for the word debt that Ooh. doesn't have to do with money?
0: Well, sure. You can owe someone
1: th- something that's not money, but... I owe you. It's like, I mean, your debt. I guess that's a figure of speech.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. I'll concede it slightly. <laughs> I'll back off a little bit. Well, um, anyways, uh, Michonne's going to escort him in exchange for the weapons, and he won't, you know, be in trouble with Oceanside anymore. She gives him back his bag of stuff, shakes her, ha- uh, shakes his hand, and he finally introduces himself as Virgil. Virgil. So, we got his name, Virgil. Uh, now, Michonne tells the rest of them to head back to town and let the council know what she's doing. Luke jokes about that, you know, nobody should worry because we have Judith looking after us. Good old Luke, always lightening the mood. Yep. Uh, before they leave, Michonne gives Judith a walkie and tells her to radio her as much as she wants. And then we cut to a long shot of Michonne and Virgil in the sailboat, on the water, on their way to Bloodsworth Island. Yep. They're sailing. They, they sure a tiny are. Tiny boat, new open ocean. They sure are. Hope they know what they're doing. The hunting group uh, is going after Lydia, I guess. They're tracking her. And Carol starts staring the opposite direction into the forest. She sneaks forward a little bit because I guess she thinks she sees something again. And wouldn't you know it? There's Alpha standing across a clearing. Alpha all alone, just standing there saying, like, come and get me. I'm right here. Carol must have Alphadar or
1: something. She just, every time she goes across the border, she runs into Alpha.
0: Yeah, she must. She knows exactly where she is for some reason. And Alpha's always by herself. It's weird. It's kind of weird. Maybe she's
1: just too awesome and everybody keeps saying, go be awesome over there. And then she's like, (laughs) fine, fuck, I'll just go be awesome over here by myself.
0: By myself. But Carol, she wants to be where Alpha is, that's
1: for sure. Yeah, I want to be your friend. Let's get close and cuddly and knifey. Let's get knifey,
0: let's get knifey. Carol runs toward her. she's going after her. The rest of the group follow alpha runs away and leads them through the woods into some kind to some kind of cave opening. uh Carol follows her in the rest of the group is delayed a little bit by some walkers that they have to kill, but eventually everybody else runs into the cave Daryl is the last one pulling up the rear because he was killing zombies the longest. He then very slowly follows everyone into the cave with his knives drawn. He's being cautious. Yeah, he's got his knives uh, knives akimbo. Knives akimbo. He creeps along in the dark, but then falls down some kind of shaft or hole. I don't know. He ends up underground with the rest of the group who are down there, who the, so I guess they all fell in the hole too. And they're trapped in this cave in what appears, well, with what appears to be hundreds of zombies, uh, all sort of mashed into this rock formation. So the zombies are not an immediate threat to them because they're all stuck in this sort of rock formation, but they're down there in the dark, stuck seemingly with nowhere to go. And the end episode over. I have seven problems with this ending. (laughs) Well, you often quote a number. Um, I, I'd be, (laughs) I do hope you indeed can get through seven because I mean, there's clearly one massive, massive problem with this ending. And as I said off the top, I'm not going to let this ending take away from my enjoyment of everything else in this episode that I thought was so good, so good. And then they, they go and do this.
1: Yeah. well, Let's see if I can rattle off seven. I, I kind of pulled that number out of my ass, but let's see. All right. Uh, caves are darker than this. For for being an underground
0: cave, which this obviously isn't, it's surprisingly well lit. Well, uh, It's, to it's be honest, a little dim. To be honest with you, it, I thought when they were down there, it actually was pretty dark. Like, I thought they did a good job with that. But but, but you right. can see stuff.
1: If you can see anything, you're not in a cave.
0: Well, you might be in an underground cave where there's some cracks with some light poking in from the surface.
1: Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I see ridiculous.
0: your point. I see your yeah. point.
1: <laughs> uh, caves don't look like this. Like it, it was obviously a set. It looks like Planet Hell from Star Trek, and it's just it, it's it's ridiculous that they would think that I that this day in, in this day and age that they feel like they could get away with showing a set like this
0: and having us buy into it. Like I, I I guess, but it, but again, that never occurred to me. Watching really? this, yeah, I looked at that so, and I'm like, huh, they're stuck in a zombie cave. It's so awful. Okay,
1: like it it's know. such it's so a sound stage. Like it's just it's it's
0: it,
1: it 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 makes me angry that it's so sound stagey. Well, and caves are not this big. Like there's no way caves are this big.
0: Well, you don't. know, oh,
1: I mean, come on, caves come in all shapes and sizes, just like people. They, they do, but they're not big, dry affairs like this. Like there was mm. dirt everywhere and the dirt fell on uh, on
0: uh, on Daryl. Like they're not dry. They're damp and they're wet. Well, l- let me ask you this question. The yeah. entire snowstorm at the end of last season was a soundstage too. Did that yes. look terrible or did that look good? That looked good compared to this garbage. Okay, fair. Fair enough. I, I thought the snow looked good too, <laughs> but the-, the cave didn't bother me. Anyways, so cave... Um, looked bad. So yeah, looked bad. Next. Well lit sound stage. So sound stage. He's too
1: big. Like, have you ever been in a cave? I have.
0: Okay. Have you? Was it this big? No, but I've been in caves where I could stand upright, move around, and it was six feet wide and stuff like that. Was it like a, a special cave, um, like tourist attraction? No, it was not. It was it was a cave into the side of a hill in the middle of. The, it was. It kind of looked like what they walked into where Alpha ran into. That's the kind of cave I've been in. Where was this? Up, uh, well, <laughs> up north, which you don't consider up north in, um, um, Bancroft, Ontario area. Oh, okay. Cause I, you know, my, I've been in a couple of caves mm-hmm. and I've seen
1: a third cave and the third, and, uh, so I've, one was the Batu caves in, uh, in Malaysia, that I was in. And that was a big damn cave, but it was a tourist attraction and it was in the middle of a, a tropical rainforest. Uh, so it was different. There was monkeys everywhere. <laughs> There's no monkeys here. <laughs> Is that a problem?
0: I don't think it's a problem. I don't think you can hold that against them.
1: It just, it looks so ridiculous and it didn't, this big open field kind of hilly area that they're in mm-hmm. doesn't strike me as a very cave place. Okay. Where have big open caves like this Uh with the, which are, the third type of caves that I've seen were the the Warsaw Caves, which are just uh, out near Peterborough. I've been there too, yeah. Yeah, those are little tiny caves. Like I, went, I was, uh, we went there, Jenny and I went there years ago. We're like, let's go to the Warsaw Caves and see what these caves are all about. And you see like these cracks in the ground. And it's like, these aren't caves. These are cracks in the ground that look like they're pretty deep. And we're walking along. And all of a sudden, these two women crawl out of this crack in the ground. And I'm like. <laughs> you fit in there? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I fit in there. Does it like, is it bigger on the inside? Not really. Why would you go down there? It's not big enough for a person. No. It's, anyway, it just, <laughs> I'm claustrophobic. Yeah. So the thought of climbing into a cave that's, you know, not as big as I am and squeezing into it, that uh, seems like the
0: wrong thing to do. No, it sounds like a horrible idea, but... So 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 far, it's all been about the cave itself. Um, yeah. Anything else?
1: Yeah. Why would you bring a bunch of zombies down here uh, and trap them without a way to get them out?
0: Well, obviously, there's a way to get them out somehow. I mean, you don't just throw them all down there and let them be trapped because that sort of defeats the purpose of being able to control them. So clearly, there's another way that they can get these zombies out of there. Unless if- this is specifically designed as a trap that they've put some zombies in just to be zombies in a cave that they can lead people into and trap them in there. That could be a thing too. Yeah. It seems a little elaborate though. What you do is you dig a hole and you put some sp- spiky sticks at the bottom of it. Well, fine. But the cave That's is, a trap. The cave's already there. You don't have to dig the hole. It's a pre-dug hole for you. Fill it with zombies and then boot people into it.
1: Well, but zombies are a valuable resource. Why would you uh, waste them on a, a, bi- a big trap like this? Well, I, I Which agree. may or may not, like they fell down and they landed on a ledge. Uh, yeah, but if That was you know, overlooking the zombies, yeah. not into the
0: zombies. So it's the worst trap in the world. I get it. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But if they're stuck in there and there's really no way out, then at the very least, they're going to just starve to death in there. But I think when, you know, Daryl said the, zo- the herd was tens of thousands big. So if there's a couple hundred in here, or maybe there's more than that, but even if there's five, six hundred in there or a thousand in there, like that's sacrifice some of your herd for this trap. I don't know. I mean we don't know if they're going to be able to get out. Yeah, they found the entrance to the underdark. There's
1: 10,000 zombies in there for sure. Okay, fair enough. And, and then that- it just goes down and down and down and they're going to keep going down and they're going to eventually find a city of drow and it's going to be a whole thing. That'll be fun. I would like that. Okay. Okay, what am I missing? So like these are all the problems I had with this cave that I think they're they're more
0: technical and aesthetic than uh, than what you're getting at they are absolutely because i didn't really think of any of those things my biggest problem is our characters should not be dumb enough to all just run blindly into this mystery cave and that pissed me off so much i mean maybe have one of them run in who you know carol is obsessed with catching alpha and If Carol ran in there, you could explain it by saying, oh, you know what? She's not thinking straight. She has let her decision-making be taken over by her desire to kill Alpha. You know, it still may not have been amazing, but you could explain it that way. But then we have five other people who should know better, who run in blindly. Then we have Daryl, who should really know better. Okay, he didn't run in, he creeped in, but he still fell down the hole. And I'm like, this makes our characters, who for so long have been making good, smart decisions. And even if you just look in this episode, everything felt so real, felt so human amongst all these people, like the conversations they had. And the way it all played out, the stuff between Rosita and Eugene, between Rosita and Gabe, I know they weren't there, but I'm just saying this episode felt so perfect in every other way. And then they botched the ending by having Aaron and Magna and all these smart people run into a cave and get themselves trapped. And I hated that about it, even though I still loved everything else. So it was the dumbassery of the whole situation. It was the dumbassery of it all. And The Walking Dead has had plenty of dumbassery over the years. But in season one, it's chaotic. People don't know what's going on. You're going to have lots of dumbassery. And, you know, you can stretch that through seasons. And, yeah, fine, there was dumbassery in season five and six and seven and eight and everything. But um, or or people doing things that you wouldn't expect them to do or, you know, giving giving rick 45 chances to shoot negan and he never takes it like you know that's all annoying but we haven't had too much of that in a long time now and suddenly here we are with all these people just running blindly into a cave following their arch nemesis and even when you think about it daryl says earlier you you know like there's a good chance this is an ambush this is a trap And he was right. He just was wrong. He was just incorrect about when the trap was coming, but it seems like he forgot he said that, or he had that thought in his brain at any time. So Uh it was annoying. Um, It doesn't bother me at all that this is a bit of a cliffhanger. I think this is just a a fine cliffhanger. Our characters are in trouble and we're going to have to wait to find out how they get out. That's totally fine with me. It was just the logistics of them going in there at all that bothered me. And I think if they just sent Carol in and left everyone else outside, I think we wouldn't have a problem because it would make at least some sense.
1: Right. Well, maybe Carol goes in because she's in a rush, right? And that makes sense. And then Daryl goes in after her because he's already, he already has a track record of saving her from uh, her own dumbass, or he almost stepping in that bear trap. So maybe it's just Carol running in and then Daryl going in after her. And then they they too find themselves at the bottom of
0: this ridiculous
1: dumb cave that couldn't possibly exist and is obviously a soundstage.
0: Sure. That would be fine. I mean, one character goes in because she's not thinking straight, because she's obsessed with catching this this enemy. Another one goes in to help her, you know, because he's in love with her (laughs) or or something. Yeah. And then everybody else is like, whoa, 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 let's go get help or, you know, whatever. Let's not all go into this dark cave for no reason. I don't know. It it just, it was, it was a bad ending to an otherwise brilliant episode, which is, which is weird and annoying. So, um, overall as a mid season finale, I think it was, it was good. And if I can prevent myself from thinking about why they went into the cave and just accept that they're in there, I think it's a fine ending, and I'm excited to see what happens from here on. It's just they didn't do the work necessary for me to believe that all these people would run into this cave and get themselves trapped. Okay. That was my problem with it. I really hated this cave, but for entirely different reasons than you. cave itself didn't bother me. I think it's a cool-looking set piece. Like, they're going to have to fight their way out of this cave or find a secret passage or something, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Well... I'm okay with that, not in this show,
1: but I'm okay with that as a general. Like, even, you know, take that concept, make it into a whole show. Right? Sure. Yeah. Well, dungeon crawl. Let's, you could
0: just call it dungeon crawl and you know, I, I'm in. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's, uh, spelunking through dungeons or caves sounds fun. Yeah. You just,
1: you go in, you, you know, solve mysteries, you, you know, defeat traps, you find treasure, secret doors. Dragons. Oh, it's great. I think this is a wonderful show.
0: That's a great idea. Well, Don in Wisconsin wrote a holy crap that was essentially, you know, echoing my feelings. He said, holy crap, did the good guys ever make a dumb choice by following Carol into that mine shaft? He actually called it a mine shaft. Do you think it was a mine shaft? It I like don't cave. think it was a mine shaft. Mine shafts are, they don't make big, wide open cathedral-like mine shafts. They I, like dig a shaft and then they mine it. Yeah. Don finishes with, Daryl felt it was a trap and went in anyways. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's what,
1: well, that's what you do.
0: Yeah. Like, I think it's a trap.
1: Well, let's spring it. Only one way no. to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's the hero way. I'm going to go into your trap and I'm going to spring it and come out on top
0: because this is a plot that's been written by a writer. Right, right. Well, I think this is the first noticeable misstep really by Angie Kang and her current writing team. And that's not too bad for a full season and a half, you know, to have one army of beavers in, uh, what are we at? 24 episodes now or something like that of Angela Kang. So that's not too bad. And I'm gonna, I know it's a little hypocritical of me, but I'm going to just give her a pass for now on. If she nails the rest of this season, this will feel like, you know, water under the bridge. Hopefully, yeah.
1: Overall, I think I'd give this uh, this episode uh, two turtles, a squirrel, and a beaver. <laughs>
0: That's an army right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a good try. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a really good try, and I'm I I I can't say enough how how good I thought everything else was, and it's it's amazing to think think back to that cold open. And how much I loved it, and then get to the last two well last like thirty seconds almost or last sixty seconds and be like, "Oh, they just didn't land the ending, and that's so such a, close, such a bummer, so close i mean if this if this ending was somehow awesome as well, I would have ranked this episode as maybe the best one the show's ever done, and it's just so close, but I'm going to choose not to be disappointed. I am going to look forward to the show coming back in uh, February and maybe, you know, over the next few months, the severity of how crappy this ending was will have diminished in my brain and I'll just remember the good stuff. Good man. Yeah. All right. Well. That brings us to the end of the recap. But boy, do I want to hear what you guys all think. So of course, we will be doing our feedback show on Thursday later this week. So get your feedback in. You have lots of ways you can do that. You can visit our website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com and clicking on Send Voicemail at the top. That'll let you record a message right into your computer or whatever device you're on. Um, You can also just record audio into your phone. Send us those files. That's usually a really great way to get high quality audio, better than the website anyways. Um, And we love audio comments. I mean, this is a podcast. So the more, you know, audio spoken voices from people, the better. But if you don't want to do that, you can also put comments on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead. I will go through all of those as best I can too, to try and find some stuff. And then, of course, there's always email. You can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, send in your feedback, everyone. I'd love to hear it. I want to know if you guys were bothered by the ending as much as I was or the cave as much as Jason was and what you felt about the rest of the episode. Um, and if you agree that it was some of the most amazing stuff this show has done in a while. So looking forward to seeing all that. And uh, yeah, that. Feedback show will be coming out sometime late Thursday night, later this week. so We have a couple of days from now. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.